Welcome back to the podcast. I've got Dan Blackwell with me. Dan is a commercial broker focused only on multifamily investments with CBRE. He's got over a billion in sales since 2015. Dan, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good, Byron. How you been? Doing amazing. So everyone that doesn't know you or doesn't follow you on Instagram, I mean, to me, in terms of multifamily brokers, you're the best follow on Instagram. Your videos are fantastic. Sometimes I'll just randomly DM you and I'm like, dude, do more video, more video. They're they're unbelievable. They're educational. You've got a great delivery. Uh, but just give us your your background and uh, you know all of that. Yeah, thanks for having me first off. And um, I specialize in the sale of apartment buildings here in Southern California. I run a team of 12 and in, uh, in multifamily professionals within the marketplace. We cover the entire market and we really represent high net worth investors who are acquiring multifamily real estate. And about three years ago, I started to document the journey and put myself out there on social and just share with what we're going through. So that's kind of the start of it. And uh, we've just been able to grow. And that's how me and you met. You know, we met through yeah. Tom Ferry and um, Tom has been an amazing help with getting us to put ourselves out there and push. And uh, we're on all the platforms now, all the channels, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, just to make sure that people are aware of uh, what we're up to. How did you meet Tom? Just being uh, somebody in the community in Orange County and, and or was he investing or like, how, how'd you guys cross paths originally? That's a, that's a good one. You know, I was following him and I was watching his stories. And I think this was probably about four years ago. He mentioned units and that how he was an investor in units. And I reached out to him and I just figured nice. he might be an investor because he was at yeah. the time located here in Orange County. That's right. So I reached out to him and set a meeting with him. It took some time to get in front of the guy, but uh, was able to get in front of him. And then it blossomed more into, you know, an opportunity to collaborate on the coaching level than um, direct investments. But there were so many dots to connect with him. We've talked about doing deals together, but it was really from the investment side of things. We, ha we have aligned interests there. I just wanted to lend a hand and help. And obviously the guy's 15 steps ahead of me, you know, or a, a lot of folks right within the industry. And we were so archaic. We just said, man, we got to get digital. We got to get on video. So I immediately begged him to coach me. For agents listening, how many reach out attempts, how many follow-ups did it take to get in front of Tom Ferry? Ooh, I would say probably eight. Eight. So, so I, I would have guessed 10 plus. So <laughs> he gave it to you on number eight. That's pretty good. Yeah. I got him at nice. the right time. It might now it's be, all about the, he might not meet with me now if I was starting all over. I mean, he's so busy. The guy's just, you know, I, I, yeah, I slid it, in the DMs. But it's all about the follow-up. You caught him at the right time. One through seven wasn't the right time for him for whatever reason. Travel speaking, just too busy to take a look at that message. And then when he had a moment, you caught him. And that's why average reach-out attempts is so important. Whether you're in commercial real estate, residential real estate, it's all about the follow-up. Tom says that all the time. Yeah. I, I read in a sales book back in the day when I was first getting started, it, was, it took six to eight times to get a yes. So I just said, well why fall short going through one to three, you know, most of the time you don't want to keep following up after that. You're figuring you're dealing with like somebody who's not interested, but you never know their timing, what's going on. So yeah, definitely six to eight attempts before you can get a first appointment is uh, what I've always stuck to my head. 
So I just saw this video because I mentioned at the top here, you're, you're like killing it on video for anybody that, that's a commercial broker. You're one of maybe a handful of people that's even using Instagram you know, from a commercial brokerage standpoint. But you just put out this video that was breaking down the return on renovations. So how does someone who's investing in real estate break down a return on their renovations? Well, the first thing that I look at is, you know, what can I get in rent? What's the market willing to pay for that unit? So I survey the market. And for example, a unit that I was turning here that I documented the video on, the market rent was $3,250. So my current rent was $2,250. So I could get a $1,000 lift. That current rent was a little low, but you know, the market had just shot up. The rental rates had shot up. So I said, okay, I can get $1,000 more in rent if I renovate this unit. How much is it going to cost to renovate the unit? And then I kind of backed into it to look at dividing the cost, the, the increase in rent over the cost to get a return on cost. And so if your return on cost is five years or four years or even less than that, then that's a no-brainer to spend the money and get the unit to market. So that was kind of how I broke it down and made the decision to push forward. On that video, you renovated for a cost of $45,000. If I remember correctly, it came out to 27% return based on that 12,000 12, that you're picking up on the year. Right, right. And so that's a great return, approximately a little less than four years, I get my money back. So it'd be great if one tenant moved in and stayed there four years, then that would be pretty seamless. But four years return on cost is a good move. <clears throat> now that $45,000 turn, and that's a ton of money to turn one unit. I mean, we're turning other units half that cost, but they're a lot less of an upgrade. It just depends on the submarket you're in. But 45000 bucks is a lot of money. I mean, that's, I was like, good Lord. I mean, I'm spending that much money, but the percentage was there to do the deal and to make the spend. And now we're spending... 55,000 a turn instead of 45 with costs running. And we're still, we're hoping to get in the low twenties on return on cost. So, well, well, what I loved about that video is you didn't HGTV us. You actually showed what everything you did cost labor material. You broke the whole thing down where HGTV would just say, you know, like three costs and you know, there's things missing and the cost is like not calculated correctly. Exactly. And what was what was nice about it is, look, I don't have all the best vendors. I don't have all the best pricing. I put that out there and there was people within the community on Instagram that were DMing me and saying, hey, I can get that done cheaper, you know, mm -hmm. or you you overpaid on your AC guy or you got a good deal on AC, whatever it was. But, you know, so there you're was, meeting new vendors right now because of that video. Yes. Nice. And there's also investors out there that might have a little bit more dialed in reno turn than I do. And I'm just putting it out there. I'm not trying to, I'm just, it is what it is. So yeah. some of those, some of those investors are saying, Hey, use this guy. You know, they're, they're hoping that I, I give them some deal flow, which I'm going to do, you know, we'll push deal flow out and they're sharing their vendors and we're kind of, you know, helping each other. Working so it's been great. Now that was your deal, this yes. particular yeah. So, so you're on a path to get a hundred doors in Orange County, right? Yes. So how are you going to pull that off? How are you going to get a hundred doors and by when in Orange County? I would say the most aggressive plan would be within 24 months to get a hundred doors. 
I'm on 16 doors that I own on my own, 100% of. So I'd have to buy, what is that, 84 more units within two years. That'd probably be the most aggressive. I think realistically, it might take 48 months, four years to get there. And there's really only three ways to do it. I've got to generate more cash from my broker's business to put into investments, which I can only, you can only broker so much and earn so much. So that's one bucket. I can't do it all through that form. I've got to either 1031 exchange the units I'm in and move them up into more doors. And that would be the most logical way to do it or do cash out refinances and buy more real estate that way. So some, some combination of cash out refi and buy or 1031 exchanging up. You're not taking any hard money? No. I haven't done that why? yet. Walk me through why. Um, why would you not take hard money and then if you know it's a good deal, refi out? Yeah, I could. You know, I could. And it, look, it's crossed my mind. You know, we've got a great lender here that can do bridge product. It's kind of like a hybrid hard money. It's costing us 7% interest only, no prepay with one point of uh, loan points. And you can get up to 75% LTV. So that's something that I definitely could do. I've just been a little careful and I've always tried to get great killer financing that's conventional and, and not, you know, go super, super aggressive on, because if, what if we hit the wrong side of a cycle and then I can't cash out that hard money. So I've just been careful, but yeah, if there's some no brainer deal and I got to go for it, then I'm going to go for it. I'm going to call the hard money guy. I'm going to call the bridge guy and just do it. You'll make the deal work. Yeah. Are you taking investors on on your down payments? Or are you doing these all? Th these are 100 doors on, on your name. 100 doors on my name. So I've got other partnerships that I've formed where I found a great deal and I needed the money guy to come in. And I've done, I've got like five or six partnership deals that we have. And that's not counting the 16 units. So this is just 100 doors documenting the journey going for it. Yeah. You guys got to follow Dan on IG because he will document every step of the way. And, and if you're, even if you're a residential agent, you know, you get people that come to you looking for a two unit, uh, a four unit building at some point in the year. And just by following Dan's Instagram, you're going to learn a whole bunch about multifamily investing and, and how to value these properties. But we'll get into that in just a second. Like how should someone that doesn't have a ton of experience like you, you focus on selling multifamily deal, obviously, you know, bigger unit numbers than, than two and four units. I get that, but, I, but I do, well, let's just get into it now. And then I'll ask you about the 1031. Yeah. If, if you're a residential agent yep. and you want to help somebody, you know, get a true value on a four unit building, what's the best steps to follow to do that? To get into a four unit building, best steps. I but, mean, but no, for 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 to you got a beginner investor. Okay, so you've got a residential agent, beginner investor. How to help them put a value on the property? Oh, I would say you know I would look at comps. I would I would so definitely comps, look at comps number one. Yeah, I would look at comps and just see what's up. I would look at per foot per unit. Those are kind of the two. I wouldn't get all caught up in like cap rates because most residential agents candidly are underwriting to the true cap rate. 
So I would look at price per unit, price per foot, and then I would do times gross. So those are the three metrics I would look at. And then you can start looking Walk us at through a, times gross. Yeah. So basically it's your annual rents divided by your purchase price. So let's just say your building's getting $100,000 in income per year and it's worth two million and they're asking $2 million, right? So you would just divide that out. Simple math. That's 20 times gross, yep. right? As a buyer, you want to pay the least amount of times gross as possible. As a seller, you want to get the highest times gross as much as possible, but it probably, it depends on where you are in, in America, you know, 20 times gross is really high, right? That's really crazy high, but that's how, kind of how it is here in, uh, parts of Orange County and coastal Orange County, it's 20 times gross. So if you're, let's say you're buying in Orange County and you look at a bunch of comps and they're all 20 times gross, then you see a deal that's 18 times gross and it's in a great location and you know, you feel like the price is pretty fair, then jump on that one, you know, or at least go drive by and look at that deal. You know, you get a barometer of per foot per door times gross and you can kind of back into this feels about, right. You got to get a sense of the market. So that's how I would, you know, coming into a new market or coming into something new, that's what I would be looking at. Comps, uh, price per foot, and then, uh, and then times gross. Yeah. 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 I would just be looking Great. at those. What if the investor comes and says, Hey, Dan, I, I'm buying this four unit building and I want to be at, you know, a 10% return on my money. Yeah, you could do that too. You know, a lot of the times back into it that way, you can back into it that way too. You know, you can't get 10 times, 10% here We're in my little part of the world. But I would say if somebody were to answer that, no matter where you are, if they're like, I'm looking to hit a specific return on my money, then I would probably manage their expectations to, you might not hit that day one, like close this deal and immediately next month you're getting, you know, your, your number that you need your cash flow percentage. It might be year two or year three, we got to get the rents up. We got to turn a unit. So I think it's managing the expectations to a buyer to accept the fact that they might have to wait 12, 24 months. And show them that plan when they, they can cross over into their desired return. Exactly. Because if they're a new investor, I'm going off, you know, what you're saying. I mean, a lot of times it's agent managing the buyer's expectations of what's reality. And they need you to, because sometimes they have their own expectations. And if they were stuck in their ways, they wouldn't transact. So they need an agent. You're actually helping them. You know, of course you are, but you're actually helping them get on title and own a deal when it's, you know, just with experience, like you come across a nice plex and you're like, yeah, this number is a little off and yeah, it's a little higher, but this is like bullseye location. These rarely come up. I've watched the market for X amount of months. Like this is one you might be willing, you should probably consider accepting a less of a return. So that's, that's what I've done to kind of help people get where they need to be instead of trying to be a hero and get them everything they want. And it's, you put so much stress on yourself to make that happen and you can only transact on what the market delivers you. So <laughs> you have to know as an agent, is this, is this a unique property? Is this one worth buying? A lot of your clients at this point, they're buying big deals, right? Like what are some of the biggest deals you've put together in, in the last couple of years? Oh, there, we did a 52 unit building in Huntington beach for a little over 20 million bucks. And the investor that acquired that property 
started with a fourplex about 25 years ago. Wow. Literally a fourplex was an engineer, bought a little four unit and just started 1031 exchanging up and up and up and up and up. And then got to a place where he said, okay, I've got some units now, 30, 40 unit buildings. I'm not going to keep selling. I'm just going to cash out refi and start buying more. So it's a pretty cool story. I want to get him on the, uh, on the channel and, 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 yeah, you and got interview it. him. But, uh, I mean, yeah, so, 20, so this dude, this dude's become a big time investor when he, when he bought this, how many units was the $20 million deal? 50, you said? 52. Yeah. In Huntington Beach. 52 unit. When he bought this 52 unit, $20 million deal, did he come with his own numbers or was he relying on double checking with you on, you know, what the value is in this property? He double checks with me. You know, it's just in his nature. He he likes to double check. He knows, he knows what he's going to do, but I think he always wants to get, you know, a good sense of perspective. Me and him have a really good relationship. I've sold him probably about 20 buildings. And we had the talk. I mean, it was it was more than what he wanted to pay. You know, it's a lot of the times it's going to be more than what you want to pay. But we looked at it like, look, you're selling some smaller assets. You're selling high. You're buying high. So that works. And you're getting phenomenal financing. We got top three banks in the marketplace to compete. They all wanted to finance the deal. So we got a smoking loan. And, um, once we did the deal, the rental market kept going. And this was probably about five, six months ago since we did the deal and he's happy as a clam. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy, 1031 tax exchanged up for everyone listening that hasn't put together a 1031 walk one, walk us through the 1031 tax exchange Two, did you see any of your clients start to squirm or make moves when the administrate the new administration floated out doing away with the 1031 tax exchange and three do you see changes in the future coming yeah so there's definitely investors we all kind of squirm a little bit and get a little uncomfortable when they start talking about doing away with the 1031 exchange and I've been in the business for 15 years so far. They've talked about doing the way with the 1031 a few different occasions, right? The first time I heard it, I freaked out, you know, I was like, ah, but this last go around, I didn't really freak out because, and maybe, maybe I should have, but I didn't really freak out because it's been talked about before, you know, and yeah. it would just be devastating to the industry. It could happen. Anything could happen. It could happen, but I just didn't think it was going to be very likely there was a lot of investors that were uncomfortable about it. And it, what it did was it fast forwarded a lot of investors to do exchanges then at the time versus waiting 24 months. And then there's you, uncertainty out there in the, in the future. You did right? see an increase initially of people going and moving on, on their exchange. Oh my gosh. We were just crazy busy, you know, just Everybody on, had on a basic level, just in case somebody is listening, is like, I don't even know what they're talking about. 1031, explain it. 1031 exchange is basically, in my word, in my way of thinking, it's like the bet, biggest and best real estate loophole there is. It's 100% legal, obviously. But what you can do is you can defer your capital gain on a sale. So what you could do is say you bought a little fourplex and you put money, you put $250,000 down on the fourplex, you owned it and you owned it, let's say for two years, and now your equity has gone up and you have $500,000 in equity in that fourplex and you want to sell it and go buy an eight unit building. 
Well, you could sell your building instead of paying tax on the five hundred thousand dollar or two hundred fifty gain that you would have out of the five hundred thousand dollars. You call your CPA and say, "How much am I going to pay in tax?" And they're going to tell you, and it's going to whack mo- you know a good portion of that gain, right? Well, what you're you not going to want to sell anymore. You're not going to want to sell, right? Exactly. So what you could do is you can put your money with a 1031 exchange accommodator. You can't touch the funds when you go to sell. It has to go to a third party intermediary, which is a 1031 exchange accommodator. So when you close escrow, the money goes to the accommodator. They hold your funds. You place another property under contract. That money gets wired to that new contract, that new escrow. And um, that's basically deferring any gain. You roll, you defer your capital gains and roll it into the next deal. So you can go buy the eight unit. You don't have to pay any tax. You defer the tax. So it's a great way to build and grow your wealth without getting taxed. You just keep letting your money ride. And then you can do an exchange after that and after that and after that and keep going. So there, there's, there's things you have to follow. There's timelines. There's debt that you have to replace. you got to defer. You don't have to refer all the money. If you def- whatever you defer, it, it's it's not taxable. But some people, there's a bunch of ways to split it. You could exchange some money and then pay tax on some. And there's a bunch of great ways to kind of work through the 1031. But there's a ton of YouTube videos out there specifically going through it. But I'm telling you, you got to know the 1031 exchange if you're getting in the investment arena because you got to educate your clients and guide them through the process. It's a great way to make money. And you're typically, like you said, rolling into a bigger deal that's going to have bigger cash flow for you on the other side. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's it all makes sense on paper. Well, why doesn't everybody do that? You know, why don't you just keep trading, trading, trading? Well, there's risk. You know, what do I buy? That's the hard part. I'd love to do an exchange, but where's my up leg? What do I buy? Right. And that's a whole nother dynamic. But and you, you, yes. know, well, you have a time frame that you have to buy in. So you're you're up against the gun. You are. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is with that. So when you sell to your point, when you, when you close escrow on your down leg property that you're exchanging out of, you have a total of 180 days to close escrow on the new property, your new, your up leg. And it's a hard 180. There's no like 181. You're, you're going to have to pay tax. So it's a hard 180 days. And then within that, the first 45 days from when you close, you've got to put, you've got to identify the property that you're buying. So there's a lot of uncertainty with that, like, oh my gosh, the pressure. And then the people don't necessarily feel comfortable to lean in and do that. But what we do is before we even sell the down leg, we've already kind of identified where we're going and hopefully had that up leg under contract. So we can kind of package it and arrange the exchange, get all the timing lined up. So there's not a lot of like uncertainty and anxiety and exchange risk. So, Yeah, you don't want to get to day 30, day, you know, 15 days left, whatever, and still be looking to identify that property because then you might just be doing a deal just to avoid tax. It might not be the right deal and might, might not make sense altogether. Exactly. I mean, that's a great point. There's people that call call us often and they're like, look, I got, you know, two days left to identify, you know, and I just need two something. <laughs> you, like you've heard that. Every week. Oh, man. Every week. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and especially now what's the inventory level right now on these deals? It's got to be like nothing. Even in, even in Southern California where, you know, listen, California on almost every single study, whether it's U-Haul or United Van Lines or the U.S. Census, 
you know, they've got the biggest migration out of any state. So even with everything going on in California, you're there, you tell me there's no inventory on multifamilies in SoCal. It's zero. So what's the future? What's the future of uh, California then? I mean, that is a huge sign that a lot of people are very bullish on California. You know, it's just everything that's there's inventory coming. I say zero. That's relatively speaking. There's a couple properties for sale. If anything's priced in line, there's getting multiple offers and it's probably going to a best and final. We as a team of 12 have zero available listings. We've never had that in our career. Everything is getting absorbed. We got one new property coming online uh, this week and in Huntington Beach. Um, but it, it just tells you that if you got something good, there's plenty of people out there, investors with a big appetite to own multifamily real estate in California. So what is all this national drama around California? Is, is any of it legit? Is California losing wealth? Oh, I would say, yeah. They, I mean, there's so many, there's so much money that is migrating out of California. No doubt. You know, there's, there's, there's so much money that has continued to keep doing that. It's driving values on a lot of markets within the United States because there's so many California buyers out there used to California prices and they're looking at everything and it feels like it's on sale, relatively speaking. Now, certainly the market is just appreciated like crazy within the U.S., right? Um, but there's just within California, there's people trading out of certain locations and into new locations. So it's not like all of California is just like not working out. You just got a lot of people that are um, a lot of landlords that are fed up with a lot of restrictions. There's more restrictions mm -hmm. within L.A. City, the L.A. County and not just the statewide level. So within Orange County, we're we're south of L.A. So. We've got a lot of money mi migrating to Orange County, where I'm headquartered here in Newport Beach. And then we've got a lot of money migrating to the Inland Empire, where a lot of people have moved to. So that's probably the best submarket within uh, Southern California is the Inland Empire. It's, I mean, double digit rent growth. We've seen just practically zero vacancies within the marketplace. There's so much money that wants to be there because it's affordable and people aren't having to work in LA as much. So they're working from home and right. doing a remote and all that stuff. So. There's, I mean, I, I, I'm very long-term bullish on California, but in the short term, just the, a lot of the res rent restrictions, COVID restrictions just caused a lot of businesses and investors to say, I can go make a great return than other places in the market. You know, I don't need my money to be in California. So um, we were fearful of that in a sense. We were, very, we were watching that, but then there was investors backfilling what they were selling here. And that created so many great opportunities for the, the local market. How much will the growth of ADUs in California change maybe some values of some of these lower unit buildings? I mean, that's a great new value add strategy is the ADUs and they're, they're popping up. We haven't sold yet the, we've sold properties, a number of properties where people are ADUing units there, either, you know, killing a, a garage or two and, and converting into a unit or doing a new construction in the back, but we haven't sold any yet, but we're excited to kind of broker those finished product. But that's a, that's a big value add within the marketplace. I mean, it's just going to add a smidge of units to the supply of the marketplace. 
So yeah. I don't really think it's just other than a value add component, it's not really going to help the housing shortage, unfortunately, um, that we're in within California. So multifamily, obviously a great investment. It's been a great investment for a long time. We talked about the 1031 uh, exchange benefit for investors. There's obviously other tax benefits that, you know, investor would, uh, you know, get by investing in multifamily. And there's been a lot of talk the last couple of years that office properties are just going to be decimated. But if you're just paying attention since January 1, you know, Facebook or Meta, they just bought a whole bunch of space in Austin, Texas. Adidas just bought up a whole bunch of space uh, somewhere. I, I can't remember where. Uh, Google just bought, spent like $1 billion on office space in London. So these big companies that have people working from home still are buying up a ton of office space. What do you think of office space as a long-term investment? It's one I don't know. I've never owned office, but I can tell you the brokers that I know within the market that specialize in investment sales for office buildings are busy, busy, busy. They're doing a lot of deals. I would say if I had to guesstimate your office leasing side of the business is probably a lot slower. I'm sure lease ups, it, 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 there's less demand there just with COVID. People might not be growing. They might be contracting, but I'm sure there's still a lot of business to go around. But I think that would be probably down since the pandemic. But I'd love to buy an office building and do something creative. And I think there's a lot of people that believe in the office you know, side of it. Not everybody's just going to want to just work from home forever. Um, I like a hybrid approach. But I think office is kind of being sort of, uh, you know, figured out again. You don't necessarily need as much space. You know, we, we I value like a great outdoor space on an office building. So I, I, sure. I, I'm bullish on office. I just I'm more bullish on apartments and it's what I know. So Adidas was actually in a building and I remember now in L.A. right next to you know, walking distance to formerly Staples Center now. Uh, crypto.com arena. Yeah. So, yeah, so over there in, in your neck of the woods anyways, but these companies are buying enormous office spaces. So, I mean, they're the biggest companies obviously in the world. Maybe they're doing, maybe they're doing it for a tax benefit because, you know, meta fa Facebook, they're, they're like, Hey, you can just keep working from home. And they go in Austin and they take up like all the available office space in some of the premier locations just, just a couple of weeks ago. So it's fascinating to me. I'm an office guy. Like you know, if I'm going to get work done, I got to be in the office. If I'm going to get a good workout in, I've got to be in the gym. Neither of those two things I can really do at a peak level at home. Of course, I can get on a business call at home or FaceTime or something like that, you know, obviously. But if I'm going to be in the zone for, you know, a set period of time, I got to be in my element. I got to be in the office. Yeah. In the lab, as the cool kids say, Dan. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I mean, there's just, you look at, you look at some of these big tech companies and, you know, they're moving, they're going where the jobs are, you know, they're going to Texas and they're, they're, there's a lot of them that come out of California. So I think they're just kind of, re, there's a lot of relocations going on. So have you gone down and visited TF in Dallas yet? I have not. I have not. That's on the to-do list, but I have not. Yeah. You got to do that. Hopefully when I'm there so we, so we can hang out, but, but Dallas is definitely, I've gone a few times this, you know, since TF's gone down there three or four times. Nice. And, uh, you know, it, 
to me, that there's a lot of people going into a Dallas, Texas, an Austin, Texas. I, you know, I'm sitting in South Florida right now. A lot of people coming into here and into this location and the growth, it's, it's incredible to watch. Yeah. I could only imagine. I mean, I think those mark we're on fire here, but you guys are just South Florida, Texas, Phoenix, just, you guys are like two X the amount of, yeah. of fire that's going on. You guys are just, I could only imagine. All right. So leave every, anybody that's, that's an agent that wants to invest in multifamily. I think it's the best retirement for, you know, somebody who's in real estate, buy real estate. Should they be thinking single family? Should they be thinking multifamily? Say they're a residential real estate agent. They want to start investing to build wealth for their future. Where should they start? You know, I would say it depends on where you live and your sub market. You know, I'm from a small town in North Carolina and there wasn't a lot of multifamily. So I bought single family. You know, I wanted to own all these apartment buildings. There was just single family or like huge multifamily properties. There wasn't really anything in between, you know? Yeah. So I think California, second to New York, it's probably got the highest concentration of like two to 15 unit apartment buildings in the United States. So if wow. you live here, get a fourplex. You know, if you live in a rural part of North Carolina, you're not going to get a fourplex. You know, you're going to have to work with what the market can offer you. But I like single family, but I got in the multifamily game. That's why I drove out here and started over about 15 years ago in California. I wanted to get into a big market. I could specialize in selling doors. And I believe that was my path to building wealth. Um, one thing I would add to that that was a big game changer for me was not only investing in real estate, but it was because I was a real estate professional. And a lot of people probably viewing this are real estate professionals, but I was started doing the cost seg with the bonus depreciation year one on deals that I bought and I saved a tremendous amount of tax. Certainly if I had to sell, I might, I'm going to recapture that, but it was a great way to not only buy a really good investment, but then I was depreciating the asset and saving a ton of money on commission, taxable income from my commissions. And I think doing those on an individual basis, investing in cost seg is great, but when you combine them together, it's a no brainer. I mean, that is where us as real estate professionals can get ahead um, and avoid paying a lot of tax. So if you haven't cost seg, cost segregation on a, uh, you could do it on a home. I think that might not pencil though. I think you need to get into some units to where it's a sizable investment. I don't want to speak saying that all single family homes are cheap, but I, you know, where it would make not sense. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. But I would yeah. say um, your, my, the Plex I cost seg, it was on the smaller scale, it was a million three. But I got a, I put 25% down. So it was about 375000 $350,000 down. I did cost segregation. And what that is, is you're instead of depreciating the apartment building over 27 and a half years, you could take certain components of the property and depreciate them over five, seven, and 10 years. And with the caught with the bonus depreciation, you can take all that out and accelerate it into year one. So I took, I got a almost a $400,000 write off year one on that deal. Nice. And I got it. So then I transferred that over to my broker's business. Yes. And saved almost two hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Yeah, and as a real estate professional, you can transfer that over to that brokerage business. That yes, and that's I started doing that in twenty eighteen, and um, you know you got to be careful doing stuff like that. But I just I bought one little plex every year, one little fourplex, one little fourplex. Saved up from brokers, bought a little fourplex. Saved up, bought a little fourplex, and then I cost segged them all, 
And I basically got a free building out of it if you look at it from the savings. So awesome. Dan, I mean, I think people have learned so much that listen through this entire podcast. And I really appreciate you sharing. You're super knowledgeable. You got to go over to Multifamily SoCal on Instagram. Make sure that you're going to follow along the journey here over the next couple of years on Dan going to 100 units personally. But you're also sharing a whole bunch of stuff on your, what your team's doing, the deals you guys are putting together, you know, some of your investors' deals. So go make sure you hit them up on Instagram. You're by far the most knowledgeable in the multifamily space that I know. And I really just appreciate the way you break it down, make it make sense for us residential folks, you know? Absolutely. Happy to help. You know, feel free to reach out anytime. You know, I just want to make sure that we just put this information out there and share. I mean, it's just been this kind of archaic way of doing things for so long. Well, that, that's all changing, right? I just want to be part of the change. So awesome. Dan, really appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks.